Andy Bitter from The Athletic is our special guest. It's time for a Virginia Tech football preview. This is ACC Nation. That's Will Ogenen. I'm Jim Quist. Welcome, Andy. We appreciate you joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, my opening question, question isn't, how will the Hokies do this season? I want to tap into the many years that you've been covering the team and get your thoughts on, on how you think they'll progress under Brent Pry and when you realistically think fans should expect that change to occur. That's a tough one because I don't really know. <laughs> I wish I could look into the crystal ball and know, but I oh, don't. Come on. Come on. Talking about I thought for sure you knew that. Yeah, I wish I would the Seuss there like that. I would make a lot more money uh, in Vegas if I were doing that. But uh, it's tough to say. It's it's a first time head coach. You know, you don't really know how he's going to operate. Yeah, uh, he's coming into a school at Virginia Tech that you know has not won outside of the Hall of Fame head coach it had for thirty years. You know, you wonder if college football has changed enough that it's just tough for Virginia Tech as a program to get back to that level, regardless of who's in charge of it. Um, there are very few ties to uh, the previous uh, iteration of Virginia Tech football. I know they have J.C. Price and Pearson Priolu and, and a couple holdovers like that, but, you know, there's no Bud Foster in the program anymore. This is a, you know, we were talking a little bit before this thing started, sort of a total changeover here, uh, clean slate from what, what it was for uh, previously here. So, uh, I don't know. Like I, I, before, I would look at it and I go, "Man, I, you know, I think two or three years they could get back to where they need to be." I, I'm not sure because I don't know necessarily if Virginia Tech can get back to that level that it was so consistently at uh, from you know basically 1995 to 2011. That's a good long run, but you know, football is different now these okay. days. Recruiting is different. NIL is a major factor. Virginia Tech's got to get its act together on that. Uh, there are just so many factors that it, I, I don't know if we can get back to that level. I, I do expect it to improve. I just don't know how much. Well, I, I must say, I'm, I'm very disappointed. You don't have a crystal ball. You know, cause I know all these, it years... sounds a lot better if I just go 2025 mark it down. <laughs> there it is. There you it go. Makes for a better headline. I think than yeah. what I, said. I can, I can make tapes disappear very quickly. <laughs> if need be in 2025. <laughs> Uh, following the uh, ACC football kickoff, the media is expecting this team to be middle of the pack. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. I think you look at the team that's coming back, and there's not a ton of headliners on this team. They had a bunch of guys go to the NFL draft last year. None of them were taken high, but there were still you know, four or five of the guys that got drafted. Is a pretty good number for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, lost some guys in the transfer portal, Braxton Burmeister transfers, Tavion Robinson, probably a bigger deal at receiver. Uh, so the, I look at the guys coming back, and there's no like surefire NFL guys in that group. So it makes me wonder, you know, what is the top end talent of this team? And then beyond that, what is the depth of this team? Because it's not a very deep team in terms of experience yet. That's something they have to figure out. So I look at one that doesn't really have the top end talent, doesn't really have the depth that they want yet. You know, a couple injuries at the wrong spots on this team. This could be tough. Uh, so that's why I go in with a little bit of caution. I think I picked them fourth in the coastal. I think the media as a whole picked them fifth. Uh, you know, UVA, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, flip them in any order. I mean, that game is in Blacksburg this year. Virginia has not won in Blacksburg since 1998, despite some very good chances to do so. So, 
Uh, I, I would pick Hokies in the middle of the pack in the Coastal Division, and, and who knows? They might surprise me. They, they might uh, live up to those expectations or live down to them too. Let's get into a little more detail here, and we'll um... – you know, wherever you want to pick up, either on offense or defense. And uh, let's let's pick apart the team and take a look a little closer. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's start with uh, the probably the most important position, quarterback. It's obviously a little bit of a competition heading into the the opener here. You've got Grant Wells, who came in from Marshall, he and Jason Brown from South Carolina. And from what I'm seeing, Wells has taken a lot of the first team reps in, in practice so far. Is he kind of the presumed starter at this point? Yeah, I think Wells is the guy, Uh, you know, we talked to the quarterbacks coach in June and, you know, even though they didn't name a starter, he said, you know, we basically know who it is, which I was kind of surprised that he said as much in June. Uh, But you look at the the spring performances and the spring game, especially where Grant Wells is moving the ball up and down the field. And, you know, Jason Brown wasn't, you know, admittedly with the lesser team that he was trying to lead, but the ball moved when Wells was in the game, the ball didn't when Jason Brown was in the game. And I think that's, you know, what it boils down to. And you know, I look at Wells and what he did last year at Marshall and yeah, the interceptions concern you a little bit, but he threw for 270 yards a game, something like that. He can push the ball downfield. Now he's got a big arm that could maybe open this game up a little bit. And if they can do that, that opens up things in the running game. He can move better than you think he can too. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to run for, 120 yards a game or something like that but if he can take off and scramble or or keep it every now and then to keep defenses honest I think that's a pretty good thing so you know I go into the season quarterback surprisingly coming off of last year and bringing in two new transfers that's not among my biggest concerns for this offense I think they could be okay with Grant Wells in there you had an article on the athletic I believe it was on Friday talking about Connor Blumrick and he's kind of uh taken on a to use a term that they use across, uh, across town over in Charlottesville football player role as uh, kind of that all-purpose guy. Um, he obviously, we, we saw him as a quarterback. He's a really good runner, a decent thrower. How is he looking as a pass catcher? You know, it's early, and we've only seen a couple, uh, you know, practices where he's been catching the ball out there. It doesn't look foreign to him. Uh, you know, those quarterbacks always have pretty good hand-eye coordinations. I would imagine with enough practice that he'd be okay at it. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily know how big of a role he's going to be. I think it could be a gadget type thing. I could be, I think it could be a niche type thing. I don't think you're, you're depending on giving him the ball 10 to 12 times a game or anything like that. But I, I think it could be, you know, for an offense that you're searching for weapons right now, and there's not a lot of proven guys on the offensive side of the ball that have done it for a lot of years, you'll take whatever you can. And having a guy that can play a bunch of roles like that, you know, taking Cole Beck from the track team, who, you know, signed as a football player a couple of years ago, became a track champion of the ACC. Like, I don't know what he's going to do as a receiver, but he's really dang fast. Uh, so just putting some interesting pieces out there. I think that allows this offensive staff to sort of, you know, get in the lab and figure out some different things they can do to, to try to confuse defenses. Yeah. One of the things I don't, I don't think there's a much of a question mark at running backs. I feel like there's three guys who've had experience and obviously Malachi Thomas probably going to be the one heading into the the season opener he's, look, he's looked really good and last year and he's looked good in in camp so far and obviously Jalen Holston and Keyshawn King are both there too so this feels like a, a real a real big strength of this offense yeah I think it can be I think it's still a developing group uh you know I like Malachi Thomas I like what he showed in those couple games where he had a breakout last year 
Uh, other than that, there are some question marks, though. I mean, Jalen Holston, this is his sixth year, and it's never really come together for him. And it, it makes me wonder if why all of a sudden in year six it will, unless it's just an opportunity thing and he wasn't getting it under the previous staff. Uh, you know, Keyshawn King is a guy who we've heard about his potential for a whole lot of years and how quick and explosive he is, but it hasn't really translated on the field outside of a couple moments. So, uh, you know, perhaps this is just an indictment of the previous offensive coaches that they weren't able to figure out how to use these running backs correctly. I mean, this was the staff that had Raheem Blackshear, you know, rush for a hundred yards and back-to-back weeks and get running back of the week. And then they play Miami and he gets two carries and you go, what, what are you doing with this running back rotation? So, uh, perhaps a new offensive staff maybe has a better handle on how to use those running backs. But I, I think there's still a little bit of question marks there just because there's not this huge history of production among them. Yeah. Where the, the real questions are, are a wide receiver and offensive line. And we'll get to the line in a minute, but Trey Turner has been a staple in Blacksburg for, for a while. And obviously he's graduated. You mentioned earlier, Tavian Robinson's transferred over to Kentucky. So between those two and Raheem Blackshear, that's a hundred receptions gone uh, obviously, Jaden Blue is in the uh, came over from Temple, I and mean, you have Nick Gallo at tight end. But there's a lot of catches that are that are to be had on this uh, this receiving core. Who do you see stepping up as a pass catcher? Yeah, I think you know a couple of the guys you mentioned, Jaden Blue and, and Nick Gallo at tight end. Uh, I look for somebody like Caleb Smith, who's sort of been a third wheel in that receiving game. He started a bunch of games, but balls have not necessarily come his way a whole lot. Had a really big spring game, two deep touchdowns over the top from Grant Wells, uh, a good sign for him possibly breaking out in, you know, this is his fourth or fifth year uh, at the school here. Uh, I think the staff really likes Daywan Lofton. Uh, he was a true freshman last year. Uh, you know, Justin Fuente touted him quite a bit. He played a little bit last season, got his feet wet, but he was the spring MVP on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I think those guys uh, add Drake Dulius at tight end, you know, perhaps a little Connor Blumbrick in the mix. Keyshawn King and Chance Black have split out wide to do some receiver stuff. Uh, perhaps Steven Gosnell, once you get to that second team, Jalen Jones. It's going to be guys have to step up into new roles because there's, you know, all the production walked out the door, like you mentioned. So it, it's, uh, you know, not an entirely a clean slate, but uh, I think there's room for opportunities for a lot of guys who maybe have not got a lot of run in the past couple of years to, to have a role. The Hokies have had a pretty solid, solid success of getting offensive linemen into the pros and me wearing a Minnesota Viking shirt. Happy to see Christian Darisaw <laughs> having right. a great start. To I got my uh, golden gopher shirt on here. Uh, yeah. Minnesotan here. So I yeah. do like the Vikings. Skull to that. I did not know you were a Minnesotan. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm actually a Virginia transplant living in Minnesota, but <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm a Minnesota transplant living in Virginia. Oh, I so. did not know that. And that's really cool. Um, but anyways, this is a, th- this is really a massive question mark on this offensive line. You got a couple of guys back, uh, Caden Moore, Silas Janzi. I'm hoping I got it right. Uh, you know, Johnny Jordan started some Parker Clements has started some, but really after that, not a lot of experience. I see a lot of uh, a re- a freshmen in the two deep. So this is this really does look like one of the areas they really need to work on heading into the game one. Yeah, the last two years, a lot of talent has left the program on the offensive line. I mean, Darius saw a first round pick uh, in 2020. Uh, 
couple transfers, Doug Nestor and, and uh, Brian Hudson leaving. They were highly recruited guys. Last year, you lose Brock Hoffman, Lasita Smith, Luke Tenuta. Those guys have been mainstays on that offensive line. So uh, it does feel like a little bit of a resetting up front and bring a new coach in and Joe Rudolph as well, who I think they're really excited about here. Um, the four guys you mentioned, I, when you say them, I, I could kind of imagine what this starting offensive line looks like. And Jesse Hansen's another guy that's been around for a while that hasn't played a whole lot that's getting in there. It's if there's an injury, then I begin to to worry about this offensive line. They had two true freshmen on the second team at offensive tackle, I think, at practice the other day. Uh, you know, the backup center has not played in a game uh, the backup left guard is a freshman who is on the defensive line in the spring uh you know actually bob Sheck was one of the, the tackles uh, a junior college guy but he hasn't played so you know you get an injury or two on the offensive line and let's be honest how how many years do you get through an entire season with no injuries on your offensive line they're in there they're banging bodies it's inevitable it's going to happen they're going to need some guys on that second team to be ready to play. And it gets really green very fast. Uh, and, and, you know, we've all watched football. If you had a, a leaky offensive line that affects the entire operation, you can't, you don't have time to stand in the pocket. You don't have holes to run through as a running back. So it affects everything else. So that's, that's the biggest red flag on this team that I look like, look at, and I go, man, they just cannot have any sort of attrition or injuries on that offensive line or they could be in some trouble. So, Andy, <clears throat> everything that you guys have, have been discussing here <clears throat> in the last few moments, it leads me as as this outside observer to think, you know, we've we've got all this new. We've got new coaches. We've got basically a new slate of players. We're not really sure what we have, which sometimes leads, I think, to wondering whether or not they can perform or deliver. I mean, rightfully so, you know, that's, that's the tendency, right? But at the same time, could people be overlooking the Hokies from that standpoint with, because there is talent there, there is some experience and these aren't like, I mean, Brent is a, a new first time head coach, but nonetheless, a very experienced guy. And there's a lot of other experienced guys in there, too, who are working. And we're not hearing a lot. And every time I, I don't hear a lot of chatter, there's two things that I, I come to the conclusion. One, that things are actually getting done and they don't want anybody to know about it. Or two, it's just all going to go flat. It's got to be either one or the other. So is there a possibility that this team could be a surprise team and maybe do better than fourth or fifth? Well, I think they can exceed expectations because I think expectations are very low for this team. I mean, you've heard me talk about it and, yep. you know, I don't have extremely high expectations for this team, but I, I see some of these off season coaching rankings that they do with the power five schools and Brent Pry was ranked 65th out of 65. And that was sort of a default rating. And the, the explanations are always, well, he's never been a head coach, so I don't know what to judge him on. So we'll just put him last. Um, I think when this error was made, people were like, who is that? Research a little bit. Like, oh, the Penn State defensive coordinator. I, I think, you know, nobody gave Virginia Tech high marks for this hire, even though 
as I've watched for my work and listened to him talk and, you know, sort of trying to rally excitement for the program, I think he's done a good job at that. Uh, so, yeah, I do think people could be underestimating them quite a bit. I, I'm trying to look at it a little pragmatically from just the roster and the recruiting they had over the years and, you mm-hmm. know, what kind of NFL prospects they might have. I don't feel like there's a ton there, but, you know, sometimes, you know, if you do staff in to replace a coaching staff where things were, you know, I don't want to say dysfunctional, but they just weren't working. Whatever it was, it wasn't working. There was this Paul of program every week was a referendum on Fuente. Is he be fired? Is he not? You remove that. And if you bring in a more competent staff that's able to these players, that's teaching things a new way that might connect in a different way that could, you know, perhaps about the last three or four years, yeah, I could see improvement. I could see this uh, team doing all right out there. I just, you know, I I just. Brand new like this. I, I think it could be a little bit of a struggle. You're a, a gentleman and won't call it dysfunctional. I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take that weight on my shoulders. It was dysfunctional. It was horribly dysfunctional. But um, interesting uh, to to get that perspective from you and and to to get a feel for where you think things are going. There's another aspect of coaching which I think is very important that sometimes we overlook and and I hesitate sometimes to ask this question too frequently, but I'm going to ask you here because I think it's very important. How is uh, Brent doing from the standpoint of working with his his boosters, his alumni, and, and the people who are important to pouring money into this program to make things happen and to help him build it into the type of program they would like to have? I'm sorry, my internet cut out there. Could you repeat that question? Yeah, okay, not a problem. How is how is Brent doing with uh, with um, connecting with alumni, the boosters, and the people who are pouring the money into the program to to make things happen and and help him be successful? You know, I th- think that's been the area he's been the best, and you know that's something that was such a a deficit, a, a struggling point of Fuente when he was here. He just didn't seem to enjoy doing those things. Uh, he was a bit introverted in nature. And, uh, you know, I think when they hired him, he's like, well, he's kind of like Frank Beamer. You know, he's, he's kind of a, a whole, like doesn't need the big acclaim or anything like that. It's like, well, Frank Beamer was extroverted. He'd get out there and he'd work a room. He goes in and he's the mayor all of a sudden. He's shaking hands. He's kissing babies. That's He's mm-hmm. the, the best at it. I mean, he can fake anyone who's talking to him about football feel like the most important person in that conversation. That was his great ability as a communicator, and that was not Justin Fuente. And I think people found out over the years that you can't just put Virginia Tech on autopilot. It doesn't sell itself like that. This isn't you know, 2005 or 2007, where the program has had this great run of success that just kind of does it on its own. This is a program that needs to get out there and sell itself and have relationships with people and, you know, shake hands and talk to donors and all this sort of stuff. And uh, I think Brent Pry gets that. And I think he gets it because he knows that was one of the reasons he was hired is that he's able to do this where his predecessor didn't. So I think he's made it a, a point to do every 
possible media opportunity, burger cookout, uh, cheese content rating content, like whatever it is, whatever they had lined up for him in the offseason, he seemed to do that. Uh, so, you know, that's what you do. That's what you need to do in college is go out there and sell this program. And, you know, we'll see if that pays dividends down the lines, whether it's recruiting and relationships or donors and relationships. Uh, but it's something you need to do in this day and age. And it was just really not there with the previous staff. I'm not asking you about that cheese thing. I'm kidding. I mean, it was, there were so many things that he had. I, I think there was some sort of cheese contest that was, maybe I'm conflating this with something else, but uh, he definitely had a lot of stuff on his plate. There you go. All right. We'll take a look at defense for us. Yeah, we, we, there were a lot of questions on offense, obviously, because there was so much new, there's so many players gone, but Defense to me feels a little more settled. And I want to start in the back on the secondary because I feel like this is where it's the the most stability is at is is you know in the back end. You've got uh, Nasir Peoples and Chamari Connor back at safety. They were two of the top tacklers on the team from last season. I think they were second and third in tackles. And then yeah, Dorian Strong and Armani Chapman at, at corner most likely. So this feels like a pretty solid unit in the secondary. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know, Chamari Connor moving over there. You know, new position, but he's played a lot of, of snaps. Nasir Peoples, I think, is underrated in terms of how many, you know, what he brings to the defense in the back end. Those two corners, I think, have a lot of experience in them. I, I think they're pretty high on Dorian Strong and his length and what he can bring to the game. And I would, you know, I'd also put Breon Murray in there. He's a guy who's played a lot. Now, he's, he's hasn't always had, you know, straight line success had some moments where, you know, maybe creeping in, peeking in the backfield and, and gets burned over the top, but uh, he's a guy who's battle tested. And I think that matters in this whole thing. So, you know, in terms of uh, continuity or returning pieces, I think the secondary, you have to feel probably best about, uh, you know, close to best about any of the, the, the position units on the team. The linebacker is pretty solid too. You've got Dax Hollifield back for, feels like uh his 10th year i feel yeah, like year 30 been, roughly yeah yeah he's been around a long time um and wait is it his brother on, on the team too jack hollyfield he's a yeah. uh, second year center on the team okay yes. yep he's on okay i thought i thought i remember seeing another hollyfield on the roster um you got alan tisdale back as well um and he's he he was fourth on the team in tackles but still even with you know one starter gun there's still you know a really strong unit yeah, I think there's a lot of experience there. Um, and a guy that they like a lot in that linebacking group is Keontae Jenkins, who played safety before they moved him. Uh, one of the like 30 guys, it seemed they cycled through the Sam linebacker position, which is a sort of this hybrid spot in Brent Pry's scheme. And, you know, honestly, we hear Pry talk about Keontae Jenkins. He might be the linebacker he's most excited about in this defense. And uh, I think you look at that, uh, that will spot with Tisdale. I don't know if it's necessarily settled that he's going to be the guy there. Jaden Keller has been pushing in that spot. He's one that coaches have really liked. He's young, but he's, he goes at things a hundred miles per hour and he's just sort of plays at that speed that everybody likes. It's a complicated position. So I wonder if he's going to be ready yet to handle all the responsibilities there, but I could see sort of a timeshare situation with him and Tisdale, you know, splitting reps there, but uh, a lot of experience, a lot to like in that linebacker crew, I, I think. And, and then you, on top of that, that's Brent Pry's old position that he coached. So I think he takes a special interest in that group. I would imagine linebacker play would be pretty good this year. 
Yeah, no doubt. I think, yeah, like you said, you got to, if you're, if you've coached them in the past, you're going to have a, a special line. I feel like they've got some pretty solid ones right there, but really the only question I think is up front. obviously Amari Barno is gone. He's now in the NFL couple, you know, we got um, uh, Taiwan Garbutt back, Noro Pollard's back, and then they picked up Phil Darius Payne from Nebraska in the transfer portal. But still, this is a spot where it doesn't feel like there's a lot of depth there either. No, and, and Payne is actually out for the year. Oh, I'm Achilles, sorry, I missed that. Achilles injury in the offseason, so he won't be that. here. I think, you know, you look, they, they have a lot of guys there. They have a lot of bodies, but there's no headliners. There's nobody that's like man, you got to watch out for this guy coming off the edge. Uh, I think they have some young guys. They like Cole Nelson, CJ McCray at defensive end to, to, you know, be paired with those veterans like Taiwan Garbett, Jalen Griffin uh, on the interior, Norrell Pollard and Mario Kendricks are back. Uh, Josh Fuga is a year older. Wilfried Panay. I think they really like what he's done since moving to the defensive line as a former tight end, but none of those guys jump out to me like, Oh man, this is an all ACC player or something like that. So I feel like they're going to have to do it by numbers and by volume and, and probably bringing the house from a, you know, different levels behind them to get the kind of pressure that they're going to want to get on the opposing uh, offenses, because that's sort of what Brent pride does is he disrupts things. And I don't think they just have guys that can beat you with the front four. You, you can't just rush four with this team and expect to get to the quarterback. I just don't think it's going to happen. Jim's going to get more into the schedule, but let me just throw this one out. Obviously, there's the this is the return game this year of of the home and home with West Virginia. It's in Blacksburg. Obviously, for a number of years, this 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 was a big deal game. But the last time West Virginia played in Blacksburg was 2004, and the freshmen at, in Blacksburg were either not born or were or hadn't even said their first words yet. So I'm wondering if this is still going to be a big deal for, for, you know, for Virginia tech fans, especially the younger ones. It is, uh, you know, watching the reaction from that team going up to Morgantown last year and losing the way it did down at the end. Uh, it didn't go over well <laughs> with the Hokies fan base. They don't like losing to the Mountaineers. They don't like watching the black diamond trophy go back up that direction after being here for, 15 years or whatever it was when the, when the, tro the series was dormant for a while. Uh, it might not engender the kind of like hate and just like white hot rage that it did when, when both sides were like, Whoa, we got to cool this thing off for a while. Let's take a break. Uh, but I think it comes back real fast and, you know, Thursday night game early in the season, uh, probably should be a uh, well-lubricated fan base, shall we say, from the pregame. Uh, you know, I think it should be a pretty rowdy atmosphere for that game. I, I think they'll get up for that one. All right, Jim, bring it on home. All right, let's talk about the schedule a little more in depth. Up front, um, a mixed bag. Old Dominion, Boston College, I believe Walford. And then, of course, the West Virginia game, which is uh, well-lubricated. Uh, but then it gets really tough. We're talking about UNC, Pitt, Miami. That's going to be a really challenging part of the schedule. That is in October, and at least they get a little break with an open date, but then they come right back at it with NC State. This schedule has done Brent Pry absolutely uh, <laughs> no favors whatsoever. Yeah, you look at it, you can almost break it up into fours. It's sort of that introduction part where there's two, you know, BC and, and uh, West Virginia 
coin flip games. I mean, I don't know who's who's going to be favored in either of those, but then they hit that stretch where it's at UNC. Uh, I think it's at Pitt, Miami, right. at NC State. Um, you know, that is a tough stretch. Three of those teams are ranked, and North Carolina is a tough team to play at uh, going down to Chapel Hill and play that game. Uh, you're going to find out a lot about this team in those four games there, because this, this could uh, snowball on them quickly if things aren't going well. So I, I'm curious to see sort of, you know, the metal of this team and if they go down there, see how they do. And then if they can get through that, it, it lightens up a little bit at the end of the season with Georgia Tech and Duke and Liberty. And, uh, you know, Virginia could be a tougher game than people think because Brennan Armstrong is just a scary quarterback to play. But like I said, they haven't won in Blacksburg since 1998, the Cavaliers. So yeah, uh, it always seems to kind of go Virginia Tech's way in that matchup. So uh, it's sort of that first four, middle four, last four. And if they can survive that middle four, I think the season could be, you know, a, a pretty decent one. Is this a postseason team? Bowl? I think I have them at six and six this season. And because uh, that's you know basically what this program has been for the last few years, and mm-hmm. you, you, going back before that, the last couple of years of the Frank Beamer era, it was around 500 uh, for a long time. And I don't look at this roster and go, man, something is just going to get this team over the top. They're going to do so much better. Maybe the coaching staff is all that, and they do know how to reach these guys and take them to a different level than what they are. But I'm sort of going to have to see it before I predict more than that. But uh, you know, I would think they would get to the postseason. It's sort of a, a pretty big deal around here, making the postseason. And if you don't, that's sort of seen as an ultimate failure of the season. So I think there's extra motivation for these players. And if they're at five wins and need to get that sixth one, uh, I think they get over the, the, the top there. Interesting. Looking forward to, to seeing how that all plays out. That sounds like you've got a crystal ball to me. Um, you I'm can... wrong all the time. I'm wrong. All... Man, last year I was like first five games. I nailed it. And then it went off the rails quickly uh, for the rest of the season. Join the rest of us. <laughs> you can take ACC nation with you by subscribing to our podcast on your favorite platform. Worldwide fans of the ACC can listen to us on ACC nation radio and be sure to watch our interviews on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and follow us there as well. Thank you so much to our special guest, Andy bitter of the athletic, Looking for the latest on the Hokies? Well, you should follow him on Twitter. That's one. And make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. Thank you, Andy, for joining us. Thanks for having me.